0: So we're in Acts 11, and Acts 11:19 19 through 30 is basically the story of Jesus planting a church. You know, before this pandemic happened, or before people got COVID, uh, you'd have to maybe, uh, if I brought up a concept of bad news, you'd have to maybe, um, you know, give some examples of like bad news, you know, uh, but you don't, you don't need to bring up any of those examples of bad news anymore, because we all know them. They're all quite, you know, quite high to the surface. We are people in need of good news because all that bad news is really piled on us. All of us need good news. And maybe if your week has gone okay, one thing we know, it will be true, is it won't always be like that. Sorry to be a downer right out of the gates, but that's just kind of, that's truth, that's just reality. Now, we don't need good news to just relieve the discomfort or, or pain of uh, or any kind of suffering now in the moment. I, I mean, yes, we need that and, that and that's difficult, yes, but there's even bigger problem that looms uh, with the big questions like what is this all about looking around you here at church what is is church what is my life all about in a world that seems so chaotic is there any like real meaning here or are we just making it up ourselves the best news that we that anyone can ever hear is that jesus has come to give us new life a new life filled with joy filled with hope filled with love, and one that can thrive in difficult circumstances. And maybe that sounds too good to be true, but it is true, and it is really good. It's a, it's a great combination, a great thing and a true thing, and that's what we find with uh, with Jesus. And this, this news, or you might have heard the word gospel before, this gospel is this good news that Jesus has come to give us new life. Everyone needs it. It doesn't matter if you're besties with Jesus or if you're enemies with him. Probably more like all of us, there's parts of us that are besties with Jesus, parts of us that are really kind of don't like Jesus intruding in the ways that he likes to. Uh, and the most effective way for people to hear about this good news and for and for people to see it lived out is through the planting of new churches. Now church planting, I've said that maybe a couple times. What is that? Uh, it, it's basically starting a new church. Uh, but it's more than a location. It's more than like a weekly event. Church planting is joining God as he creates a new community of people who follow Jesus where there wasn't one before. And the great thing about church planting, about these new churches, is they reach people who haven't been reached before. And maybe that's you. Maybe you, thought you found yourself at church. You never would have thought so. But now that Trinity has been there, you're kind of like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Now, for, for some of us, the idea of church planting isn't normal. Um, and maybe it sounds like a new thing. Or maybe something you didn't hear about till you came across Trinity. But every church, when you think about it, every church had to start at some point. So every church has been a church plant at some point. And the book of Acts teaches us that church planting isn't something new. It's not something novel. It's not something cool. It's the normal practice of a church that understands and lives out the good news. It's a very normal kind of thing. Healthy things reproduce. It's the normal practice of a church that isn't full of themselves, but is full of the Spirit. See, God cares about people who don't know him yet. And if you're filled with God, you will care about people who don't know him yet. And that doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life. And I know that as you've been reading through Acts, you see actually following Jesus can be quite difficult at times. But if you follow Jesus, we get to be filled with his love as we walk his paths. This love is so immense. It's so amazing. And there's so much of it. It overflows in ways that we can't carry home with us. Like we can't. Keep it all for ourselves. We can't hoard it all for ourselves. So it overflows to the people that we love—our family members, our neighbors, our work colleagues, our friends. And when that happens, with enough people together, you've got a new church. Now Redeemer is still one of these new church plants. Uh, we are about like four years old, just about to be four years old in a few months. Uh, we started with nine people in our middle room over dinner, uh, and now we have about forty people who are all in on this together a bit of how it started and how it's going. Now, we aren't the exception, and neither are you. This is the norm in God's kingdom, and this is why it's exciting to be on God's mission. And every small thing that you get to do as a new church in Prestwich and the north of Manchester is to this end, that people are going to hear this good news, and they are going to see it lived out. That is an amazing responsibility and honor to have. And the good news that Jesus gives us is new life. See, so we want others to hear about it and, we, and to see it lived out in the community. Turning to church, Manchester is a church that Jesus has planted. And as you follow Jesus, you will be people who believe, remain true, and serve others. And that's the main thing that we get to in these sections here. Uh, when Jesus plants a church, there will be people who believe, there will be people who remain true, and there will be people who serve others. So let's get to that first one in verses 19 through 21. Peter, in the, uh, the beginning of Acts, in uh, Acts 2.39, talking about the gospel, And the promise of new life in Jesus says this. He says, this promise is for you, talking to people who are believers there, Jewish background believers, is for you and your children and all who are far off. For all the Lord our God will call. This is not just for them there in Acts 2, but for us, like literally the people who are hearing this now. For all who are far off whom God is going to call. Those who are far away from the Lord will believe. And that's what we see here in Antioch. So how did this happen? Well, let's look and see. See, Antioch is a Greek city. It's very different than Jerusalem. So Jerusalem uh, is where this Jesus movement started. And Jerusalem, you have these very religious Jewish background people who are now following Jesus. Uh, um, Antioch is a little bit different. There was religious worship going on, but it was different. It was a a spirituality um, that was woven into social fabric and things like that, but it didn't quite have that rigid religiousness, rigid religiousness behind it. Um, It's a lot like where I live in Charlton, um, and maybe similar to people that you know. uh, Some level of spirituality without a kind of religious backing. Now Christians end up in Antioch, and they get there in two ways. Some wouldn't have chosen to be there, but were forced to, and others came for the specific reason of telling people about Jesus. So some people were forced to, others came like kind of of their own volition. This first group that was forced they were forced, they were scattered by religious persecution. So the Jews were fleeing Jerusalem because they just, uh, Stephen, who was one of the leaders in the church, was, was killed, was martyred. Um, and they're fleeing for their faith, the Christian refugees. They didn't ask to go, they were forced to flee under really difficult and scary circumstances. Now maybe this is a little bit like you today, and that your friend has dragged you here like, oh, do I have to really go to church? I guess I have to in order to keep this friendship. And you really don't want to come, but you're here anyway. Oh, really glad that you're here anyway. Uh, so secondly, there are people, um, and these are people from Greek backgrounds, who voluntarily came. So the Jews had gone to be forced to come. The Greeks came from Greek-speaking areas that were very similar culturally to Antioch, uh, with the intention of going specifically to those who were not Jewish, all those religious and, uh, or spiritual but not religious types. And so these Greek background guys uh, chose to go. The Jews stick to hanging up with the Jews. The Greeks intentionally seek people out with those Greek backgrounds. And the hand of the Lord was with those who were the spiritual but not religious types. That's what we're told. Those who weren't Jewish. Now I think there's uh, three things that we can learn from this. The first is whether we go because it's forced upon us or whether we choose to go, for Christians here, there was a focus on spreading the word and telling the good news. This is actually like speech, not just living a good life, but speaking the good words. In good or bad circumstances, those who follow Jesus are called to love others through what we talk about. Those who are Christians have to be people who know why Jesus is good news for us and how it can be uniquely good news for other people. The second thing is uh, Jesus' message and his power work together. The Lord's hand, which is a symbol of his power, and his word are at work together. They're not separated. As we bring our lives to the Bible, not just read the Bible, but bring our lives to it, we don't just get information, um, but what we get is the Spirit of God at work, the Lord's hand, His power behind it, not from our own passion, not from our own cleverness, not from our own energy, not from our own charisma, not how clever all this stuff, it comes when the Word of God is unleashed through our speech. The Word of God and the power of God are always together. Thirdly, uh, and this is something the Jews are still catching up on, but the Greeks get quite quickly. That God is for everyone. For everyone. Not just the religious. The Jews who are persecuted, fleeing for their lives, seek comfort and hanging out with people who are just like them. But that's not where God is moving. That's not where God's moving here. Where is he moving now? Like, like now, in the north of Manchester. Where is he moving? What is he up to? What about for you as a church? For Trinity? Following God means crossing boundaries we've drawn. And in that discomfort, we find new and deeper ways to rely on him. Following God means, means crossing boundaries that we've drawn. Not, not boundaries that God's drawn. Boundaries that we've drawn, uh, which is, can be uncomfortable. But in that discomfort, we find new and deeper ways to rely on him. And he works through that. And what we get in this story is that people believe. People who were the walking dead now come to life. They were lost and now they're found. How much of your life is organized around this possibility? Do you expect this? Do you pray for this? Do you kind of organize your life around this happening? Do you live as if this will happen? Does your heart break for those who don't know him? If not, ask God for more of his heart. Because that's where his heart is. His heart is for the lost, the lonely, and those who may or may not be religious. Either way, those who are spiritually dead. And this is why being a church planting church is such an important focus. A church that is focused on its own problems or a church that's focused on its own little vision is a church missing out on God's great plan for your neighborhood, for your area. You're missing out on God's great plan for our city of Manchester, our nation, and our world. So when Jesus plants a church, people believe. The second thing that we see, and this is in verses 22 through 26, is uh, people remain true when Jesus plants a church. Um, people remain too, those who believe. So people in Antioch moved from missing out on God. Previously, their lives were missing out completely on God. Now they believe. Now they're in on this God thing uh, and uh, being with him. What happens next when Jesus plants a church? Well, Barnabas comes from Jerusalem. It's like the mother church, the sending church, and is super stoked about what's going on here in Antioch. He encouraged these new believers to, verse 23 says, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's what he came from Jerusalem for. Travel there was, wasn't always easy. He also went to pick up Saul, also known as Paul, who wrote a lot of our New Testament, and they tag-teamed the teaching ministry at Antioch. It's a team teaching thing there at Antioch. They remain true. They're encouraged to remain true. The same for us. Teaching is important. Sundays, midweek groups, all that stuff is important because they help us remain true to who we are in Jesus. The Greeks would have all sorts of baggage they would have brought with them into this new church. Their spiritual activity, their worship of gods, how they live their social life. Um, But they aren't in those things anymore. They're in Jesus. And of course, it's the same thing for us. We all have baggage we bring with us. You bring your own baggage into this church. The church would be a perfect institution if it wasn't for other people, right? But remaining true is impossible outside of the teaching of the church because we need to hear these words get in deep. And let me also say this. The church... Is, is includes teaching, but is isn't just teaching. That means the church is more than a podcast. The church is more than a live stream. The church is more than event, an event. It's not something that you can produce, really. The church is a set of relationships created and crafted by God. A church is where people are known. Uh, and you can't be known by a podcast. A podcast preacher doesn't care about you because he doesn't know you. So don't settle for being passive. Being passive is always how we drift. We never drift towards being closer with Jesus. You know that, right? Like, whenever we drift, it's always farther away. We drift towards all sorts of other things. And teaching in the context of the church, the actual, the real church, that's how we remain true. That's how we remain true to who we now are. Now, I think it can be quite easy to buy into the idea that worldly comforts are really all we need. We might talk differently on a Sunday, but for the rest of our lives, uh, well, they really aren't different than like most people around us. We have the same problems. We view money the same way. We view work the same way. Um, our diaries look the same. The fears and the worries that we have. But when a crisis hits, anything less than Jesus that we use for comfort, they leave us. During the pandemic, all of us have been orphaned by the comforts that we thought we could kind of live by. Maybe we didn't even know we had those comforts for ourselves. But they can't care for us. All those things that are less than Jesus. All those things leave. They're gone. We were left as orphans. And are we going to go back to those things when we go back to normal? Or are we going to go? We to learn something from that? As difficult as the pandemic was and, and still is, There is something for us to learn in there, I think. In the tornado of the pandemic, we can hear the whisper of God calling us to something more. Let's not go back to what we used to do. Let's ask God, like, what next? What do you want to remain true to? Because what you want to remain true to might be different than what you actually remain true to. Do you want to be known as as remaining true to your career? Do you want to be known as uh, remaining true to your family? Careers and families are fantastic. They're great. But they're not really good enough to be the ultimate thing because you're meant for so much more than a career than a family. And put in the right order, a career and family can be amazing. But out of order, when they become the ultimate thing, then they become burdens when we become enslaved to them. Both are going to let you down, and you'll let both down as well. Remaining true means being who God has made you to be. Not what the world is telling you and not what you tell yourself. It's what God himself tells you. And what he says is, you are my daughter whom I love. You are my son whom I love. I love you so much. I'm I'm so happy to know you. I'm so happy you get to know me. And before you do anything, You're already accepted and embraced in my arms. And and God never orphans anyone. The only way to remain true to that, through good times and through connected to a church, that teaches about the Bible, that teaches about Jesus, about who we are, and about our mission in this world. And as we remain true to him, we discover our true selves, who we were really created to be, who we really are. And I don't want anyone to really miss out on that. And this is how the church at Antioch was growing. People are believing in God, and they're remaining true to him. And still, we're told in verse 24, even after this, even more people now are coming to the faith. So when Jesus plants a church, people believe, people remain true. What what, what does he do next? Well, um, in verses 27 through 30, there's this focus on serving others. There is a dire situation. A famine is coming. This famine wouldn't only be localized to a small area. It was going to be a big deal, basically as global as something could be for someone who lived in that place and time. Uh, And there are actually like a series of famines. Uh, In Claudius, who's the emperor at this time, in his reign in year one, year two, year four, year nine, year 11, there's these famines that went on. Difficult, difficult start (laughs) for for office. From Egypt to Greece to Rome and Judea. And Agabus, who's a prophet uh, at the church there in Antioch, tells the church that some difficult times are going ahead. And so what we have is the Roman government, the Roman government, the most powerful organization that anyone at this time has ever known, that maybe like history has ever known up until now, uh, covering the entire known world to these people, the strongest and most powerful organization has no kind of power when it comes to something like a famine. Nothing. When crises hit, the veil of this world is pulled back And what seemed to once be powerful is now seen as what it is, as powerless. As it has been, of course, all along. And only God has the power that we need. So this famine is going to hit the church there at Jerusalem and at Antioch. It's not like Antioch wasn't included in these difficult times. So how are they going to respond? How would we? When you are empowered by Jesus, a famine becomes an opportunity to serve and bless others. When you become a follower of Jesus, difficult times become opportunities to serve others. Jesus transforms how we go through difficult times. Focus on serving other people instead of serving ourselves first. See, words and deeds, they live side by side, and that's what healthy spirituality is. This is embodied belief. This is a natural posture of a life that believes and remains true, eager to serve even when it's difficult, maybe especially when it's difficult, living in generosity, not wanting God's work to end with you. Now that might sound great and fantastic, and maybe you've tried to live that before, but I don't know if you've tried to do that before in your own strength, you burn out quite quickly. See, the only way we can really live like this, like ongoing, sustainable life of serving other people, even in the midst of famine that are going to come multiple years over and over again, the only way we can live like this is through Jesus. We don't have this power in us. The story of Acts is a story of a very ordinary people empowered to live in these extraordinary ways, not through what we do first, but in how much we rely on Jesus who's doing the work through us. And Jesus, in order to make this easy for us, he sent the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, to live in us, to live this way. This message of goodness that we're called to organize our lives around is his message. And this message advances by his hand. People who teach, those who encourage, it's not because they're great, it's because of the Spirit. And so when we serve, it's not their our strength, it's through him as well. Now, the Greeks in Antioch were once isolated with, from God. They were quarantined off. And now they're able to walk in the freedom that comes from being in a relationship with him, living a generous life when they would have been preoccupied with themselves otherwise. See, God does this amazing thing. He saves us from our small-minded little missions and gives us something more. And this serving others' part it is one of the reasons you're part of Trinity for those who are far off, Right? For those who are far off in Presswich, in the north of Manchester, this is why we planted a church in Charlton, and we both, both of our churches, get to work together for Manchester. Less than 2% of people in all of Manchester go to a church, any kind of church, at all. There are many who aren't close to God here in this city, and maybe you're one of them. Maybe that's how you describe yourself, and there's a reason why you're here today. What do you think it would be like to join in with Jesus in believing and remaining true and serving others? Maybe you are someone who is close to God. And part of the reason the Holy Spirit is in you is to be part of his plan to gather in those who are far off. That's one of the reasons that you have this new life, is to pass on that that good news, that new life to other people. So I wonder what that looks like in your life. Remaining true always leads to serving others. And if it doesn't, it should probably bring to question what we believe and what what we're remaining true in. What God teaches us in these verses is a belief in Jesus leads us to remaining in Him, which overflows to serving others. And this is what a healthy spiritual life looks like when those things are connected. And serving others means what Jesus has started in you doesn't end with you. That's true of you individually, yes, but it's also true of you as a people, as a church. And I pray that you, eternity, won't be content with planting one church, that you'll long for this to not end with you, that you can plant more churches, I plant more churches, I plant more churches. And if you're part of Trinity, I know it can be tough and difficult work. Believe me, I know it's rough. It's not always enjoyable. It sometimes can feel like remaining true is just showing up and like being a, someone who's sitting in a seat because you're completely tired. And you know, that's okay sometimes, right? There are going to be times that are easier, there are going to be times that are more difficult. But regardless of either type, regardless of either time, the important thing is to remember who is at work. It's not you. It's through you, but it's not you. It's not up to you. You might have responsibility, but it's not up to you. It's not because of you. You might be working like crazy, but it's not because of you. It's nothing less than God himself, his Holy Spirit, at work. This is how Jesus continues the mission that he started. He's still at work, even as you were sat there right now. It's his church, and he'll grow it in the way that he wants. He's the lead planter. And if that's true, then our job first isn't to go and start things. Our job first isn't to go run ahead. Our job first is to surrender, to give up, to rely, to depend. We surrender in our beliefs that Jesus is the one who's leading this thing. He's the king. He's the leader. We aren't, and neither is anything else. And That changes everything, and that's really good because it's a change for the better. When we surrender to Jesus, we surrender in what we remain true to. If Jesus is our prime allegiance, the highest anything else can be is a second, including our own desires. When we surrender to Jesus, we will serve others before ourselves because we have found a love that has no end, that gives us too much to carry home, uh, and we have much more love to be able to give now because we're empowered by God and because Jesus is first, that frees us to be able to give. In our surrender, We depend on the Holy Spirit's power to work through us. We don't have to have it all together. Isn't that great news? Isn't that really good news? We don't have to have it all together. That just, I'm so happy that that's true. We don't. Because he does. And when we surrender to Jesus, we surrender to his church. He has created for a reason. You know, he could have chosen any way for his mission to go forward. He's God, he can do whatever he wants. And yet what he's chosen is to plant Trinity in Presswich, in north of Manchester. That's what he has chosen to do. You are chosen there to continue his mission. That's mind-boggling. Why would he choose to do that? I don't know why he chooses to do those kind of things, but he does, and he loves doing it. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again for his message and his power to advance through his church. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares about the church. And Jesus' death and his resurrection made this good news become true. If it wasn't for that, it wouldn't be true. it is so let's come to jesus and believe let's come and remain true let's come and serve others in manchester as in heaven